Welcome to Hallway Conversations with Matt and Dave. We've both been teaching for quite a while now, but we still have plenty of questions about education. And this podcast is our place for thinking out loud together about topics that we think are important for Christian educators to consider. Welcome to the conversation. Welcome, everybody, to another Hallway Conversation. I'm Dave Mulder. And I'm Matt Beamers. This is our place where we think out loud about questions around, um, well, questions about education that we think are important for Christian educators to consider. So welcome. We're glad you take the time to be with us. Uh, this, this time, it's my turn to raise the question. So, Matt, I've got one for you. All right. So I've been wondering lately, I know that you're a really interactive teacher, and, and I, I hear from students how much they are blessed by your well, classroom. Thanks, Dave. So, well, it's the honest truth. And, and so I'm wondering if you could share, how do you go about fostering an environment in your classroom where learning can flourish? Well, those, that's a great question. Those are very kind words. Um, I, let's just say I hope that that happens. Like, right? Like, yeah. I, yeah. Right? Like, uh, to, I do hope that that happens. And, you know, some days you do, you do hit a home run where you know flourishing did happen. Right. And other days, you, you know, you know, you miss. And I, I think part of it is it begins with grace and graciousness. Um, you know, to flourish, we all need that. And so to give ourselves that grace. But, let me just back up for a second, if, sure. if I may. I think, if I think about again as a recovering English teacher. Uh, I, I just <laughs> love that you always describe yeah, yourself totally, that way. totally. <laughs> I loved teaching English. Um, and, and there's some way I've learned so much. There's part of me that wants to do over on yeah. it, especially the first few years. But um, I had such gracious students and I loved them. And I think so highly of them today still. But I think... Uh, I sometimes think about the words climate and culture, if I, if I can mm -hmm. use those two mm -hmm. words. And I sometimes think about climate as, um, you know, if you think about the, the thermostat, the temperature in your house, right? You're sort of adjusting. We've just moved to Iowa, so we're figuring out what the right temperature <laughs> is so that we don't freeze. Because it's really cold if people who are not from Iowa, if you didn't know that. Um, it's it's very cold here. So we're, we're constantly adjusting it. Like, we knew... At our, old, at our old place where we lived, exactly what the temperature should be at night. We knew exactly what it looked like in the day. Like we had it down to a science. We knew. And in some ways, that was sort of almost became the culture. Like right. we knew, we sort of, it became almost, there was a formative piece to it where it sort of was just, it worked in a positive way. It just worked well. And, and so I'm thinking about that as a teacher that I think when I first started out, I was, I tried, I had in my mind what I wanted the climate to be like. And too often it was, um, to be really honest, it was sort of dependent on me. Like I set the climate. Oh yeah. And so, you know, um, if I'm having a good day, the climate's like this. If I'm having not a good day, the climate's like this. Like we have a lot more control over that, I think, than what we often realize. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, and that wasn't great for students, to be honest, right? It's sort of like, where's the thermostat going to be at today when right. Matt Beamers walks into the classroom? And I think, so that's, just to give a context, I think I was more about climate than, than culture. And I'll tell you when this changed for me, Dave. I was on a plane to Grand Rapids, Michigan in January of 2000, 2008, 2009. A friend of mine uh, named Wilma as I was getting ready to go on this trip, literally the day to go to the airport, 
Um, I was at school in my office and I was getting ready to drive to the airport and she puts this book into my hand. She's like, you have to read this. I'm like, what book can be so pressing? And it was Desiring the Kingdom um, by James K.A. Smith, who I had never heard of. Um, before and it and I did a quick page through and it and with all due respect to James um, it looked really heady for me I was like there's there's no way I can read this but but Wilma was a good friend who had a lot of respect for her. she's like you need to read this and Wilma had never given me a book before so I've read Desiring the Kingdom too but it's been a little while so just help me out remind me what, what is Jamie Smith's big idea in this book yeah, totally. So the book is, it's pretty philosophical. It's called Desiring the Kingdom, um, Worship, Worldview, and Cultural Formation. And um, maybe just let me tell you a story quickly from, from the yeah. book. That was actually, was actually sort of blew my mind when I read it. But he basically talks about, at one point, about kind of the liturgy of the mall. And if people who have read the book are, are familiar with this. And, and it's a heady book, folks, and it's totally worth it. But it basically talks about how, like, when you go through, you know, you're walking through a mall, how how um, the mall shapes our desires. It shapes our understanding of what it means to be a human being. And and so it basically just talks about the different aspects of, like, of um, how we're being shaped by the culture that, that uh, yeah, we, we yeah. live in. And sometimes without even knowing how the culture is shaping our desires and and that was really important for me as a as a dad, Dave, because I had a moment after I read that book. I don't like going to malls. I actually despise <laughs> yeah. going to malls. I'm just going to name that. But I went to the mall quite often because my daughters sometimes like to go there. Sure. And if that allowed me to hang out with them, then yeah, well, yeah. you go to the mall. Right. And I had a moment where I was coming out of a out of a bookstore, and my daughters were walking. I don't know, 15, 30 meters in front of me. Um, and all of a sudden I remembered that book and um, that moment where, where Jamie talks about the liturgy of the mall. And I suddenly looked around Ooh. and I was overwhelmed almost. I was overwhelmed in that moment of, of all of a sudden realizing, wow, like my daughters are walking around. It, like it's such... Um, an embodied experience when you're in the mall, the smells, the sights, the sounds. And I was realizing um, in that moment what the mall was telling my daughters about what it means to be um, a human being and and what it means to be a young woman in this world, right? And the Mm. mall makes you all kinds of promises, right? Like if you you buy this, if you have this technology and, and... you know, if you can just have it, like you will flourish, right? And and of course, the lie of the mall is is end of technology is is yeah. By the time you by the time you get there, actually, the fashions change, mm. a new phone comes yeah. out, like right. you you're you're almost there, right? And it it reminded me, right? Like the the story of the mall is and Kemstrew Smith's book is sort of like you will be loved if you will be good enough if, and the beauty of following jesus of course is that says you know what there's there's actually nothing you can do to make me love you more than i do and there's nothing you can do to make me love you less than i do and and it just then it made me um it made me realize then what's the story of if the mall has a story then my classroom has a story and what is my classroom what are the practices in my classroom telling my students about what it means to flourish as a child of god 
and we could really riff on this for a long time, Dave, because like you could talk about everything from gr- like what do grading practices tell our, oh, yes. our our students about what it means to be a human being? Um, what do our everything from seating charts tell us about what it means to be a human being? The things we put on the mall on the mall on the wall tell us about what it means to be a, a human being, and and it and so it. It was a really eye-opening book for me to, but I again I had to wrestle sort of with what what is if again if the mall has a liturgy, then surely my classroom does too, and if liturgy is shaping and forming us to be a certain kind of person in the world, I had to if I'm honest for the first time really wrestle with, um, the liturgy of my classroom and what it was communicating to to students. Um, I su- suddenly started thinking about formative practices in my classroom mm-hmm. um you know like we had our you know i taught in christian school so you pray at the beginning of the day you pray at the end of the day you, you know you certain things but i but i always just thought about those things as things you should do and you should do them and they're good things to do right right we but would I, expect them to be happening in absolutely and we should right. expect them to be happening but i had never thought about how those things, what those things might be doing to students or what those things might be doing to me or mm. what that might be doing to the culture in a classroom, right? You pray every day with students and they start sharing prayer requests. They start sharing things about their life that suddenly you realize that that changes your re- relationship in a classroom. Like it, it changes it because all of a sudden like they're making themselves vulnerable, like you're entering into prayer. Um, and so suddenly I started thinking about prayer a different way. But I also started thinking about some of just the small, little, habitual things we would do in a classroom, even when I'm working in groups. Um, And again, I'm sure Jamie would have no idea, and he's probably, if he would ever listen to this, and he won't, but if he'd ever listen to this, he's probably shaking his head just... Wondering how Beavers. I got, Beavers, how, how did I get from, how did I get, you know, what I got from this book, but, but even things like when I would have students uh, work in small, small groups, you know, at the end, um, to thank each other, right. To give each mm. other a, a fist pound or whatever, to thank each other. Um, and this still impacts my classroom today. So, um, again, and this all started when I read this book, but, um, Little things like on Friday afternoons, every Friday afternoon, I give a um, a closing best blessing over the students. We we stand and I invite them to put their their hands out to receive the blessing, and they don't need to do that, and that's fine. And and then when the blessing's done, I ask them to pass the peace of Christ to three, four, or five people. Um, just there's all these little things that you just kind of you do over and over and over that I that I think in some ways like I said it does something to your class Mm -hmm. does something to the culture like so it moves it like from climate to culture it's just who we are and how we are with each other Um, and I think it also accentuates what you value like what you value Mm -hmm. as a teacher what you value in, in in a classroom so you know instead of you know telling people this is what I value we're we're just going to do this. And, and it may be naive, Dave, but, but at some point you hope students pick up on that. Like right. you hope um, students, um, they realize, hey, you value this. I, I'll, I'll stop there, but Desiring the Kingdom, if you haven't read it, 
Read that book. You have Matt's recommendation. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I love hearing that because you're kind of painting a picture for a way of being. More yeah. more than like all the focus on the things that you're going to learn, all yeah. the things you need to know as yeah. a result of being And we could talk about that too, Dave. I guess right. it's a both and right? totally. both of those totally. are true. But but this gets me thinking about all those small decisions. I've heard it said before that teachers make at least 300 non-trivial decisions every day, right? Like, okay, what shirt am I going to wear? That's a trivial decision, right? But how you interact with people and how you respond in the moment, those are non-trivial decisions. And and this just kind of has me thinking about... um, yeah, if we have a culture that's oriented in a direction, and then we have all these little practices that kind of are those steps that yeah. nudge us in that yeah. direction, right? Yeah, and I, and I think sometimes, I think for me, I just try to model the culture. Yeah. Like I try to model the culture. Um, oh, you know, that's so whether it's Whether it's standing at the front doors of the school in the morning, when I couldn't. I, like, I don't want anyone to think, oh, I did, like, a, there's just days that it doesn't happen. But that was always the ideal, right? Or to mm-hmm. be in the parking lot after school, you know, yelling across the parking lot at goodbye and using kids' names and mm-hmm. trying to know every student's name in the school and not always getting there, but trying to get pretty close. Like, I think those are sort of those those formative practices that if we say, hey, what do we want the the entirety of this learning experience to do to us? But I think you can have all the strategy you want in the world, but if you don't if you don't have that culture, which for me, I tried to bring through these formative practices. Um, so in that sense, Desiring the Kingdom was a cultural, like it was a culture book for me. It was like, yeah. it was about that book was about school culture and about classroom culture um, through formative practices. I don't know. How about you, Dave? What's what's your thoughts on it yeah. as you think about culture and climate? Well, this is so interesting. As you've been describing formative practice, I'm just realizing how many things. And I don't know that I would have named it that way hmm. until we're having this conversation. Yeah. I, like, I think through, okay, so we teach at a Christian institution yeah. where you were saying, like, we expect there to be things like devotional reading, uh, reading scripture, leveraging scripture as part of our lessons, uh, spending time in prayer. Uh, When I teach intro to ed, uh, for instance, we start every day with devotions. And partly that's, it's ingrained into me. My first class of the day, how many years I taught in Christian schools, it feels wrong to not start the day with devotions. But I've tried to make that something that's not just uh, tacky Christianity, right? Like John Van Dyke used to talk about that, right? Like the tacky approach to teaching Christianly. Um, where you're tacking things on. Instead, it's got to be integral. And so we have the opportunity to open scripture together. And that's going to, you know, hold up. The topic of the day is held up to the light of scripture then right from the Mm. get-go. We're going to spend time in prayer together because Mm. that shapes how how we are, right? And this whole idea of of liturgy, that sounds so weird in in school, right? We think of liturgy as a church thing. But but that we have these practices that form us in particular ways. Yeah. Uh, and then I'm thinking about, um, yeah, several of the other classes. So I teach a class that's uh, Methods of Teaching Science, mm. and it's for elementary ed majors. And I'm not throwing them under the bus. Please hear this right, yeah. right? But a lot of them, if you're in elementary education, you're probably not there because you love science. It's probably because you want to teach kids to read or, yeah. or something along the right? And so I recognize that. And so yeah. I structure some things about that course mm. in, in ways that I hope are going to be formative for them, right? Yeah. That they maybe don't think of themselves as a scientist or they don't think of their students as scientists. Mm. But how can we practice some of that? And so 
we do a lot of playfulness. A, mm. a lot of the things that we're doing in that class are, are playful. I, I want them to play with sciencey ideas, but I want them to be, you know, hands-on and minds-on, as the, the science yeah, education yeah. literature talks about, right? Like, we've got to be doing this, but we've yeah. got to be making meaning of it. Um, and so when we're doing an investigation, um, I, I hope that that is something that's going to shape them. I try to choose activities that I think you could use this with kindergartners or students mm. in grade two or students in grade seven. And yeah, you'd have to modify it depending on the grade level. But you could do this active. What we're doing right now, you could take this into mm. a classroom and, and actually yeah. do it. And it gives them an opportunity then to kind of imagine themselves into uh, yeah. a way of being. Yeah. And I think that gets to the, your point, maybe a little different way, but this yeah. whole idea that education can be formative. Yeah, I, I well, not just can be. In, in my mind, education is formative. It, it has it, to be. It, it right? has to be. The, the question is, is in what ways is it forming? Yeah. Like, who is it forming our students to be? And I, and I think that's why the Smith book was so mm-hmm. um, was so pivotal for me, right? Like. Like I like your use of the word liturgy, and and maybe you and me are not using the word way the word of the yeah, way right. it's intended to be, <laughs> but but I it, I can't help but think that in a sense every classroom is liturgical. Like there is a liturgy to every mm-hmm. classroom. Like there is, and that liturgy is forming our students. It's doing something to them. It's 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 doing something to their minds, into who they are, into their understanding of what it means to hu- a human being what it means to participate in the world, how we want them to participate, all of those things. So it's communicating those things. And I think that's where Smith's book for me was sort of like, I was really a deer in the headlights because I came face to face with how, I had to answer the question for myself, how am I forming um, my students, right? And this idea of, of like, is it is it helping, is it moving students to a deeper understanding um, of what it means to participate in God's story, of of making it more on you know on earth as it is in heaven, so to right, speak. Like, right. is it like what's the telos? Daryl DeBoer often used like what's the North Star, right? And mm-hmm. and it, and I had to answer that question for myself. What what was the North Star star for Matt Beamers? And and I'm thankful in its own way that 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 book pushed me. Um, to to kind of rethink, you know, like the liturgy of learning, the liturgy mm-hmm. of of the classroom, because because whether we like it or not, our classes is do, are doing something to students' understanding um, of how they understand how to walk in the world, so to speak. As you say that, and maybe this is where we'll wrap up for this okay. show, this episode too. But I, I've been thinking a lot about this idea of um, I sometimes it rolls off the tongue. My students are image bearers, right? Yeah. Like they are created in the image of God. Yeah. What does that look like? Well, I, I guess I'm, I'm thinking about this in terms of God is the creator. Yeah. And so how do we reflect some sense of that? Absolutely. Like we have a sense of creativity. We have creative capacity. Because he is the creator, that's one way we reflect God's image that we're creating. Yeah. And that's what I'm hearing you describe this as, right? Like we are created to create. And totally. We are created I, to form this classroom culture. Absolutely. I, I think in that sense, I really like the language that in that way, we're co-creators. Yes. Like, yeah. right. We're, we're co-creators with God in this. This is, this is one of, among many things, this is one of the things I love about following Jesus, about, mm. about that, that God says, Hey, like I've created you and co-create with me. Like, let's be in this together. And it's right. like, like what an amazing God we serve that is like, really? Like, I can, yes, like. That he invites us into that. He invites us into that. And it's amazing. And 
like it spurs me on it spurs me on in my in my work and my in my reading and my writing and my teaching and Dave as you so have often said and I think we've alluded to before like we get to do this we get to do we this. get to be co-creators we get to be co-workers with God and I can't think of, of a, a higher calling to be honest with you it's God. it's it's humbling and yet inspiring at the same time amen thanks everybody thanks for uh, joining us in this hallway conversation uh, we appreciate you being here with us and thank you for allowing us to be um, here with you have a good day thank you this podcast was quite literally dreamed up by matt and dave during one of their hallway conversations our music was created by ethan Mulder. hallway conversations is an independent podcast created and produced by dave Mulder and matt beamers thanks for listening 